Good morning. Great to see you all this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect. Thank you so much for coming out and joining us. And um, I wasn't here last week, but a friend of mine, Dave Mudd, got to come and speak. I heard really good feedback on him. Heard you guys had a good time with Dave. I was up at his church up in Lake Zurich, the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Uh, had a lot of fun up there with them, but it's good to be back. Uh, leading up to Christmas here uh, on Thursday and then Friday, Christmas Day. But uh, we've really enjoyed these last few weeks because we've been walking through this series together called Awaken the Wonder. And the whole idea is awakening to the wonder of God and just how amazing He is. And uh, I promise you, we didn't title this series because of what I'm about to talk about, but it did so happen that just this last week, another awakening took place. Uh, Yet some of you already know where I'm going with this. The Force Awakened on Thursday night. Yes, it did. Star Wars, The Force Awakens. And it does so happen that it just kind of ties in a little bit with this idea of awakening the wonder. So uh, I have to be honest, you know, when I talk about Star Wars, The Force Awakens, I realize that there's probably two groups of people in here this morning. There's one group who, when I said Star Wars, The Force Awakened, they were like, there was a little cheer from someone at the back. I think he's probably in that group, okay? Then there's the other group, the second group, who you're like, Star Wars? I've not seen any of the movies. I don't even know what the fuss is about. I don't even know what this means. Um, you're just not Star Wars fans, okay? You're not into the whole Star Wars things. Well, if there are two groups, I have to be honest this morning, I'm in group number one. Okay, I loved the movie. I was super excited. I took my boys, Ben and Will. We went to see it on Thursday night, opening night. There we are at the theater. That's my Facebook post I wrote there. After months of counting down, the night is finally here. So excited. We're finally getting to watch The Good Dinosaur. <laughs> Get a little joke there. No, we went to see Star Wars, and um, these two characters were in the foyer. We got our picture taken with them. I assumed when I arrived and saw them and many other people dressed as stormtroopers and all sorts of different things that the theater had laid out some money for marketing purposes and hired all these actors to come in and just to kind of it make the night a little bit more exciting. But no, turns out these were just regular moviegoers, and this is what they chose to wear that night to watch the movie. So I had my picture taken there with Darth Vader and some other... Um, guy or girl there, I think, uh, just on the end there, just another character with a lightsaber. And um, it was, there was a lot of energy and a lot of excitement over this movie, The Force Awakens. But driving up there to the, the movie theater, the boys and I were in the car, and I was telling them, guys, this is an exciting night. They're like, yeah. I was like, no, no, you don't understand. This movie, okay, I went to see the original Star Wars with my dad years ago. I saw the very first movie, the Star Wars. How many of you saw this one in the theater? Anyone brave enough to? Okay, 1977. <laughs> Hands down quickly. It's like, uh-oh. Yeah, I was seven years old when I went to see the very first Star Wars. And I'm like, boys, I had no idea at the time when I went to see that movie, the cultural phenomenon that Star Wars would become. And that almost 40 years later, I began to see another Star Wars. I went with my dad when I was seven, that almost 40 years later, I'd be going with my son to see another Star Wars movie. It was a pretty big deal. I said, guys, you realize that's like you, 40 years from now, taking your kids to see Paul Blart, Mall Cop, the 17th version, the, the 17th, I mean, maybe, maybe, you never know. Maybe that's the film that will drag on and that'll become an empire of its own. I highly doubt it. 
But I had no idea when I saw Star Wars as a kid that this would become such an iconic event throughout my life. And the reason I'm kind of bringing this up is because that very first film I saw, so it was actually the fourth film in the series, but it was the first film to be released. It's very confusing, I know, but if you're into Star Wars, you get it, okay? The very first one was called what? A New Hope. Yes. The first one in the saga, chapter four, was Star Wars, A New Hope. And the reason it was called A New Hope was because the film opens up and the, the galaxy is in crisis. There's trouble afoot. Darth Vader and the dark side are coming in and they're bringing with them the powers of darkness and they're out to destroy all the good people. And, and we're introduced to this character, this young man by the name of Luke Skywalker, who unbeknownst to even Luke is a, is a Jedi. He has the powers of force of the, of the force within him and he is going to save the galaxy. In fact, he becomes the hope for the galaxy. He's a new hope. And the reason I thought it was cool, the idea of the force awakening, tying in with that series and then this original one, because this morning I want to talk about hope. I want to talk about the idea of hope. In our, in our series of Awakening the Wonder, we've talked about how God wants to awaken within us the wonder of joy and of peace. And this morning, how he wants to awaken within us the wonder of hope. I think God wants us to discover the reality of, of hope in our lives. You know, these three words, we didn't just pick them randomly, joy, peace, and hope. They're very Christmassy words, aren't they? You see them a lot on Christmas cards and on decorations and even sometimes on yard displays. You know, you'll see these words set up in people's yards. And hope is a very Christmassy word. Hope actually features in the story by Charles Dickens, The Christmas Carol. You may be familiar with the story. It's been turned into many, many movies. You could have seen Patrick Stewart, Alistair Sims, Bill Murray, Jim Carrey, The Muppets, and many, many more portray the story of Ebenezer Scrooge and the ghosts of Christmas past and Christmas future and Christmas present. And in the story, there's a great line in that Charles Dickens book, A Christmas Carol. It goes like this. Hope is all they have, Ebenezer. They have been stripped of everything else. Hope can pierce even the most eternal darkness. That Christmas novel, they're talking about how powerful hope can be. There's a Christmas carol that, if you've not sung it yet, you've probably heard it played at some point during the, the Christmas season. It's O Holy Night. And there's a wonderful line in that carol that says, The thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. This picture is actually from my mantelpiece. We've got this on a decoration that sits on my mantelpiece. And I love sitting there in my chair sometimes and just kind of looking up and seeing that phrase, the thrill of hope. That's who Jesus was. He was a thrill of hope coming into a weary world, causing it to rejoice. So over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about joy, we've talked about peace. This morning, we're going to talk about hope. So um, to, to really fully understand what hope is, we probably have to um, figure out what does hope mean? You know, when you're thinking about this word hope, what exactly does it mean? How does the dictionary define hope? Well, the truth is that it's a word we use a lot, isn't it? It's a word that is in our vocabulary an awful lot. Maybe even this week, you've used it. Maybe this week you've been visiting with a friend and it's winter. Maybe they caught a cold and they're sitting there sniffling and their eyes are red and their head's pounding and they're, they're obviously, you know, not feeling good at all. And, and before leaving, you've said to them, oh, I hope you feel better. Hope you feel better. We use that word a lot, don't we? 
Now, I'm no doctor. I'm not sure that that's the best medicine that person needs at that time. I'm sure it's making them feel a little bit nice, but I'm sure some sort of vitamins, vitamins, some sort of, um, I don't know, health cold cure, whatever it may be, would probably be more helpful than just to hope you feel better. But we say it a lot, don't we? Have you ever found yourself in this position where you're, you're pouring out your heart to someone and maybe things are going wrong in life and you're hitting some struggles and some bumps in the road and it's just a difficult time and you're, you know, you're kind of really burying your soul and talking about how bleak the situation is and the person's listening and they're really dialed in and they're nodding their heads and at the very end of you just unburdening everything, they say, oh, man, I hope that works out for you. Thanks. <laughs> Awesome. You, you hope that works out for me. How about you, you call my boss and tell him not to fire me? That would be actually a little bit better. How about you take my finals in my place? How about you talk to my mom and dad and, and tell them to figure this out? But it's kind of the nice thing to say, isn't it? I hope that works out for you. Or maybe at Christmas time, you know, as we're traveling, we're uh, maybe going to a Christmas party or visiting family and friends near or far. And uh, maybe you'll find yourself in somebody's home and the weather will start to turn a bit rough and you're looking out the window thinking, man, I've got to drive home and the snow's falling a lot heavier now and the roads are kind of icing over, the visibility's getting pretty bleak out there and you're a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous, but right before you go to leave, your friend kind of tugs you on your arm and says, hey, I hope you make it home okay. Oh, thank you for saying that. I was really nervous about driving home in these conditions, but the fact that you hope I make it home okay, I feel great now. I may even just make the journey with my eyes closed because everything's going to be just fine. Now, obviously, I'm being a little bit facetious here. There's nothing wrong with saying hope in that context. In fact, that's very nice. It's nice to say to someone, hey, I hope you feel better, especially if you genuinely do hope they feel better. That's really nice. But the reason I'm talking about this is because this isn't the kind of hope I want to speak about this morning. I don't want to talk about the kind of hope that we hear a lot, that kind of platitude of, oh, I hope that works out. I hope you feel better. I hope you make it home okay. That's, that's not the kind of hope I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about a different kind of hope, a deeper, stronger, more powerful kind of hope. Because that kind of platitude hope, we hear about that a lot, don't we? There was a movie that came out in the, uh, I think it was the late 90s. It was called Hope Floats. And uh, you may be familiar with this movie. It featured Sandra Bullock and Harry Connick Jr. And the, the story of the movie, okay, is that Sandra Bullock has this wonderful, successful marriage. And then she discovers that her husband has cheated on her and her world falls apart. And um, she goes back with her daughter to be with her mom in the town that she grew up in. Everything was going right for her successful career, great life, and now everything's fallen apart. She's back in this hometown, and she's just kind of fed up with life and fed up with love and fed up with relationships. And she comes across this guy that uh, was friends with her in high school, Harry Connick Jr. He's grown up now, and he's a man, and, and uh, he's forming this friendship with her. And as the movie goes on, you can see that chemistry starting to develop between the two of them. But she's burned out. She's given up on love. She's given up on life. And, and you're sitting there watching thinking, oh, I wonder if they'll get together. Of course they'll get together. It's, it's a romantic comedy. They always get together. Come on. But through the movie, you're kind of wondering. And, and not just that. The movie's called Hope Floats. There's a big clue there in how the movie's going to end, okay? If it's hope crashes and burns or hope dies, then I can see where that movie's going. But hope floats kind of gives us a bit of an indication as to what may end up happening. And what do you know? They get together at the end. We're like, ah. Oh. But the reality is hope isn't always like that, is it? Hope doesn't always just float up to the top and make us feel good. 
That's not the kind of hope I want to speak about this morning. The fluffy pillow kind of hope. You see, life is tough. And very often the future is uncertain and the problems that we face in our life, they're very real. And it's okay to say to someone, hey, I hope you feel better. I hope that works out. But the reality is sometimes we don't want that. We don't want that kind of, hey, it's okay. I hope it works out. Lay your head on this fluffy white pillow and let's just hope that everything's okay. Sometimes that's not the kind of hope we need, is it? Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at these, uh, these words, joy and peace, and we've been addressing them in the context of how sometimes joy and peace are what we need to sustain us through difficult times in life. The fact that actually these are fruits, these are gifts that God wants to give us to help us in the midst of trials, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of some of our difficult times, we can, we can hold on to it, we can find joy and peace in God. And the same can be said of hope. That hope is something that we can reach out for in the midst of difficult times. Maybe this Christmas time you find yourself in a, a difficult place. It could be that you've lost a job or lost a spouse. This year your marriage has come to an end. Maybe you're in the midst of a relationship crisis right now. Maybe you're in the midst of a crisis where your family that you grew up with has fallen apart. It could be that you're at a stage of life right now where you're dealing with some things that you've never had to deal with before. It could be something like anxiety or depression and um, this is new to you. And it's difficult to, to navigate through. And the truth is, if you're totally honest with yourself, that you'd say, I'm here this morning just kind of holding it together. And I'm really nervous because I feel like if I just crack in any area, everything will unravel all around me. It's like the dam will break. It's a difficult place to find myself in. It could be a health situation. Maybe you're battling a, um, some news you've got about something um, health-wise. Maybe there are some unanswered questions. Maybe the doctors have given you some answers that you're not happy about. But whatever it is, every one of us, um, if we haven't already at some point, we're going to hit these storms in life. And I think in the midst of those storms and in the midst of those struggles, we're not looking for the fluffy white pillow hope. We're saying, I need something strong to hold on to. I need something to put my hope into, something that's going to carry me through these difficult times and circumstances. Is there something like that that I can put my hope into? And this Christmas, I want to answer that with a yes. There is hope. And hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. At Christmas time, we remember that 2,000 years ago, a baby was born, and the angels proclaimed his birth, and the wise men brought him gifts, and Herod, inspired by the, the enemy of God, the devil, tried to take his life away from him. And all because this little baby had a name and a purpose, and it was hope. He came to bring hope. In the midst of this weary world, the thrill of hope was born in a stable, in a manger, in Bethlehem. That's the hope that I want to talk about today. Not the kind of hope that floats up to the top with a happy ending, but that kind of hope that sinks down to the very bottom with us. But it provides something at the bottom, a bedrock for us to stand on. 
something to cling to and to say that from this point, I'm not going to sink any lower because I have something that I can build back up on. I've discovered that God has something for me in this. He wants to develop something in this. And I've found some hope in this rock that is called Jesus. That's the kind of hope that we can grab a hold of this morning. That's why we celebrate at Christmas time the birth of Jesus, because he brought with him joy and peace. And not only did he bring with him hope, but he was hope. He is someone that through our relationship with him, we can build our lives upon, we can stand upon in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the trials, we can find hope in Jesus. Paul talks about this hope uh, when he writes to the Romans. He writes to the Romans in a book called Romans. And in chapter 15, verse 13, Paul says this. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope. So he's saying we can find hope in God. I pray that he will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love this verse that that Paul is writing because it kind of wraps up our whole series in one verse. He's saying here that God wants to fill us with peace and joy. And we've been talking about that, haven't we, for the last couple of weeks. We've talked about what peace and joy looks like, how, how God wants to put them in our lives. We've talked about how there are enemies to peace and joy that we can overcome if we're aware of who they are and what they're trying to do. And he's saying now that um, as well as joy and peace, he wants to bring hope. Paul's writing to these Romans, he's saying, listen, hope is the foundation for joy and peace. As I was reading this verse and as I was preparing this message, I couldn't get away from the idea of the fact that, that peace and joy just really go hand in hand together. They're so interlinked. You know, God says he wants to give us joy and joy is very different than happiness. We talked about that, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, that happiness is a very external, circumstantial thing. It can come and go very quickly, but joy is something that we can find in God that's deep down and that will sustain us through those times. In fact, joy can actually give us peace. And I feel like peace can really only be fully appreciated through the lens of joy. So joy and peace, it's like they go hand in hand together. But what Paul's saying here is saying, but listen, what underpins joy and peace, the foundation that joy and peace are built upon is hope. The hope that comes from God, the hope that we can find in God, the hope that we can find in Jesus. That's like the foundation that joy and peace are built upon. And Paul's writing to these Romans saying, I want you to find this hope that I found in Jesus. I want you to know what hope is. I want you to be able to trust in this God who wants to fill you with his hope. But it's amazing, you know, because as I was preparing this message and I was reading this verse, because this verse, I mean, it stands alone. It's a very strong, powerful um, statement that Paul is making about the idea of peace and joy and hope. But sometimes we lose a little bit of the power of what's being said because we forget who Paul's writing to. You see, as you read the different letters and the different um, narratives that are in the Bible, when you're aware of who they're being written to, it can often change the context of what's being said. Let me give an example practically of how that works. Okay, Um, two very simple words, American girl. Okay, American girl. Now, I have a family of five. It's myself and my wife. I have two sons who are 15 and 13, and then I have a daughter who's eight. 
Okay, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who was actually up in Chicago last Sunday, uh, last weekend. She was doing some Christmas shopping, and she took her daughter with her. I said, listen, be very careful. If you're anywhere near Michigan Avenue, you don't go down the bottom. There's this big store called American Girl, and it's terrifying. If your daughter sees it, she will drag you in there, and you will come out with no money left whatsoever. A lot of money can be spent in American Girl. So when I hear these two words in my family, it's amazing how the same two words can have very different meanings to every member of my family. Emma, who's eight, if she hears it, she's like, oh. You know, we have a magazine that comes through now in the mail. Somehow we're on there mailing this, which is I love. And um, so she's just flicking through the pages of all these wonderful dolls and accessories that you can get. And, and just when Emma hears American Girl, her eyes light up. If we're in Chicago shopping together as a family and my boys hear American Girl, they're like, ugh. Because just two blocks away is the Nike store. They're like, Dad, come on, let's not go there. Let's go to the Nike store and look at the tennis shoes and the basketballs and all the cool stuff. When I hear American Girl, I'm terrified. Because I know that I will have to remortgage the house if we go in there. I think last Christmas, um, Emma's grandparents got her an American Girl doll, and we bought the outfit for it. I spent less on an outfit for Emma than I spent on the outfit for this doll, this inanimate object. But isn't it crazy how just two words, American Girl, depending on who you are, can mean something very different. They could be the most exciting words in the world or the most terrifying words in the world. And the reason I want to share that is because as I was reading this verse in Romans, I became aware this week of who Paul's writing to. Paul's writing to a group of people in Rome. These are very secular society, a very unchurched group of people. And it's amazing because just a couple of books later, there's a book called Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to the Hebrews, the Jews, the people of God. And he talks about hope as well. Listen to what um, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. He says, Faith is the confidence of what we hope hope for will actually... I'm going to read that again because I messed it up completely. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, faith is the confidence that what we hope for, what we're hoping for, will actually happen. And then as you go on to read the rest of Hebrews, you read dozens and dozens of stories of of people who over a thousand years have seen this very thing happen. He talks about Moses and Abraham and Isaac and David and Joshua and the list goes on and on and on. And the Jews, when they're hearing this this message of hope, they're relating it to their heritage, to the thousands of years of where they've seen the God of hope come through and be exactly who he said he would be. They've seen the evidence. They have that confidence that what they hope for will actually happen because they have such a rich heritage of having seen that happen. But you see, Paul's writing to the Romans. The Romans are a very different group than the Hebrews. The Romans are about as far, if the Hebrews are this, this way connected to God, the Romans are about as far in the other direction as you can get. It was a very secular society, a very pluralistic society, a very godless society. So when they hear the word hope, it means something different to them. 
Because they tend to live in a world full of hopelessness. That there is no hope. There's no point. The Romans would have been very heavily influenced by a philosopher that was very famous at the time. His name was Epicurus. We've got his Facebook profile picture there, so you've probably recognized him. Um, Epicurus lived two or three hundred years before the birth of Christ, and he was one of many philosophers who, who had a very powerful message that he taught and was influenced by others. But basically, he was the father of what's known as the, the Epicurean philosophy. And Epicurean philosophy still exists today. It's this idea that all we are is a random group of atoms just bumping around in this universe. Epicurus would teach that there is no real purpose in this life. At the end of life, there is nothing. While I'm here, there is something, but when I'm gone, there is nothing. They would live in this, this pluralistic, secularistic society where they would have no fear of death because in death, there is nothing. When we exist, death is not, and when we die, we are not. All consciousness and everything we are ends with death. That's the teachings of this philosopher that would have been heavily influenced in that Roman society that Paul's writing to, talking about hope. Hope would be a very foreign concept in a culture like this, where we are nothing. Do you know, if you went to tombstones, if you went to graveyards in Rome, you would see tombstones with this inscription on them. Non fui, fui, non sum, non curo. Now, I know most of you are fluent in Latin, so you're very familiar with what that means. But for the one or two of you who may be not familiar with this particular phrase, let me give you the English translation. I was not, I was, I am not, I do not care. That was their philosophy. That was their, their life. I was not. I'd never existed. And then I was for a time. And now I am not. And I do not care. So Paul's talking to this kind of culture, this kind of group about hope. A very foreign concept in that particular culture. And the truth is that even though this was written 2,000 years ago to a, um, a society that was very heavily influenced by this philosopher by the name of Epicurus, isn't it true that probably today we could maybe talk about family or friends or work colleagues, maybe even yourself here this morning, you probably can relate more to that kind of philosophy that I just don't know if there is a God. I wonder if we're just here for a time and then we're gone and that's it. If that's not you this morning, I'm sure we could all name someone or think of someone who maybe lives that way. And it's very hard for a person like that to, to grasp the idea of hope because life seems hopeless and life seems pointless. But the reality is that even if you are um, a, a student of the school of thought of Epicurus, there will come a time in your life where there will be a trial. Something will happen and there'll be a tragedy. Maybe it's in the world or maybe it's in your family or maybe it's in your own life. And you'll look out and you'll start asking some of life's big questions. Why did that happen? Why did that happen to me? What's the point behind that? And that's going to lead you to, to thinking, is there any hope? Is there any hope in this situation? And Paul is writing to these people to say, yes, there is. There is hope. And his name is Jesus. You can put your hope in something. You can put it into the name of Jesus and he won't let you down. This is where people discover hope. Sadly, for hope to exist, uh, there has to be hopelessness first. If you think about it, a perfect world would have no need of hope, would it? 
But we live in an imperfect, broken world. And we are in need of hope. Paul is teaching to this godless culture that there is hope. That hope has a name and that his name is Jesus. The idea that there is nothing, it just leads to hopelessness. But the idea that there is something leads to hope. And this morning, I don't know where you find yourself. Maybe you're kind of relating more to the people of Rome or more to the the Hebrew audience. But either way, I want you to know that there is hope, that hope has a name and that his name is Jesus. And I want you this Christmas time to discover that hope, to lean into that hope, to experience that hope in your lives. Maybe it's for the very first time. It's a a prayer away, just asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life and experiencing the joy and the peace and the hope that only he can bring. Maybe it's something you've grown up with, but over time has kind of faded a little bit. I want you to rediscover the hope that Jesus is, the hope that he can be for you. So if you're here this morning and, and you're still searching, you maybe wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. My prayer is that this Christmas season, you awaken to the wonder of joy and peace and hope and awaken to the wonder of the God who provides them all and that you wouldn't miss that opportunity to just ask him to come into your life and change who you are. That's my prayer for you, but I also want to close out this morning by maybe speaking to those of you this morning that are followers of Jesus because this series, I think, has been just as challenging to us as well. As we've talked about this idea of awakening to the wonder of God and to the love and the joy and the the peace and the hope that he wants to put into our lives, I think it can be a challenge to some of us. Because the reality is, the question I would ask for you this morning as we close out this series is, is are you mirroring that hope? Do people see the hope that God brings? Do people see that joy and peace? Do they see that in your lives? I think that's a really important question to ask yourself. And here's why. Do you, uh, has anyone ever watched the show Extreme Home Makeover or Extreme Makeover Home Edition? You guys familiar with that show? Okay. It's a great show. It was, um, I'm not sure if it's still on. It was on a while back and they even came to Pekin once and they, they made over a house in Pekin several years ago. But I can remember watching this show, Ty Pennington, I think the guy's name is, uh, was like the, uh, the main person on the show. And the concept was that they would, they would find out about a family whose home was um, in need of some changes. Maybe dad lost his job or there'd been a change in their life situation. A lot of times it would be a family member um, was battling some kind of sickness or disability or maybe had discovered a new disability. Sometimes there was a change of situation. But whatever it was, the home that the family was currently living in wasn't suitable for the situation that they found themselves in. So they would respond to a letter from a family member or a friend and they'd come and they'd knock on the door and they'd say, hey, we're here to, to make over your home. So you're going to need to get out of here for a week. We're going to send you to Disney World. They're like, so we're going to send you off to Disney World for a week. Okay, and while you're gone, we're going to transform your house. So off they go. They head off to Disney World. And then 24-7, these local contractors and stores and building companies and and different individuals, they come in and they just work tirelessly to, to renovate this house, turn it around. I mean, they're not just painting walls a different color. They're knocking walls down. They're putting in new things. They're putting ramps in for wheelchairs. I mean, they're doing everything. And and normally about two-thirds of the way through the show, they hit an obstacle, and they've got two days left, and this plan they had, it looks like it's not going to work. And they're like, are we ever going to be able to get this done in time? Come back after the commercials to find out. And you're like, no, 
And you have to sit through a whole set of commercials because you're dying to know if they're going to fix it. And of course, every week they fix it and they get it done just in the nick of time. The family's pulling up the street and the guy's still nailing in the last bit of trim. I mean, it's like right down to the wire. And the family pull up and all the contractors and all the volunteers and all the workers, they're all stood around the house. But the family don't get to see it straight away because there's something in the way. What's in the way? That's right, the bus. So they stand there in front of the bus and they can't see the house. And then Ty gets everyone together. And, and on the count of three, they all shout out this phrase together. And the phrase is, okay, four of you have seen it. So the phrase is, move that bus. That's what they all shout out together in unison. And then the bus pulls away. And for the very first time, they get to see the house. But as the bus pulls away, do you know what the very next thing is the camera shows? The very first thing when the camera pulls away, what do you think the first thing is that the camera shows? You'd think it'd be the house, but it's not. You don't see the house. Do you know what you see? You see their faces. You see the looks on their faces. Because in that moment, you get to see the house in their faces. You see the kids, they're like, Mum's like, oh, she kind of drops to her knees and she can't believe what's happened. Dad being real tough, he's like, <laughs> he's kind of doing that sniffle thing where he's really trying not to cry on TV in front of millions of people, but he's, you know. Because they're just amazed at the transformation that's taken place and what the house now looks like. You know, I think God wants people who don't know him, people that aren't followers of Jesus, I think his heart's desire is that they would see him, his love, his joy, his peace in our faces. I had lunch with a guy just recently and we were talking about this and he said, I just don't get it, Dave. And he's not a follower of Jesus himself. And we would ask, going through backs and forces and different questions. He goes, you know what I think? If God would just show up, if God would just like appear, he can do it. I know he can. And everyone could just see him at once in the sky, then everyone would be a follower of Jesus. Everyone will believe. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, and I'm not sure why he doesn't do that. I'm sure he's got some really good reasons. But the reality is, people can see God. People can see Jesus. They can see him in our faces. And that's why in this series, I'm, I'm hoping and praying that what you take away from it is this challenge to awaken the wonder of hope in you. Awaken the wonder of joy. Awaken the wonder of peace inside of you that only God can bring. Awaken to the wonder of God himself so that as you live your life, People who are far from God, people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, they will be compelled because they see something different in you. They see in you that joy, that peace, that hope. Maybe it should be our prayer this week. God, I pray that it would shine so clearly through me, the hope that I have in you, the hope that I have in Jesus, that it would, it would inspire those around me. They would see God in me. They would think, that's what I'm looking for. That's the kind of hope that I need in my life. Paul didn't just write a letter to the Romans. He went in and he spoke with them and he talked to them. And I believe that those people who lived in that secularistic society didn't just hear the words he was talking about. They saw the transformation in his life. They saw something in him. They saw God reflected in him. Just like we see that house, that brand new house in the faces of those families. 
Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, at this Christmas time, we remember that Jesus came into the world. A little baby in a manger, but the reality is that hope was born into the world. That for thousands of years since, hundreds of thousands, millions of people have been looking back to that day and putting their hope in that baby that was born in the manger. Putting their hope into that baby that grew up to be a man who gave his life so that we could have a relationship with God restored. We put our hope into Jesus. And I know that there are many this morning who could share story after story of situations they found themselves where they seem to be sinking. Hope didn't float, but at the bottom, hope was there in the name of Jesus. Hope was like a, a bedrock to stand upon and rebuild from. If there are any here this morning that have yet to discover that hope, I pray, Lord, they would discover it. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have discovered it, that we would live our lives in a way that it would mirror you, that people would see your hope and your joy and your peace shining out of our lives. Because it sets us apart and makes a difference. Be with us this week. Help us have a great time with family and friends over Christmas. In the midst of all the fun and the eating and the presents and everything else, help us never to forget the real reason for the season that you brought hope and joy and peace into this world for all of us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.